0: Galatians chapter 4. We're going to read together from first one to first seven, okay? Let's read it loud, okay? Not just, but let's try to read it loud and clear and just make, read it with the guts, you know, that's the word. With guts, like loud and clear. Okay, let's do it together in count of three. One, two, three. I mean that the heir, as long as his child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the death set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, true God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful seven verses that speaks about our primary identity in you. And I just pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that you speak into our heart. You make these verses come alive. Because unless you do that, Lord, unless you come into our heart and open our eyes to be able to see the beauty of adoption, everything that we know about the Bible, everything that we know about this doctrine is just an empty knowledge. But when you work through the Word of God, Spirit, and you open our eyes, then we can delight, we can rejoice, and we can just find rest, in fact, knowing that no one can change this from us, that we are forever yours. We are your son's. And what a privilege for us to be called your sons. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you do that in the midst of us. I am unable to do this, Lord. I can only speak. But your word has power, Holy Spirit. Your word has the power to transform us. So I pray that you do that. Open our blind eyes to see the glory and the beauty of our adoption. And we ask this in the beloved name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be it. So, adoption. I like. Uh, the other words, to make it cooler, I titled it, No Longer a Slave, But a Son. How many of you used to not like your sibling? How many of you still not like your sibling? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay um, um, I've told this story before, uh, me and my sisters right now, today we are like BFF, we are best friends forever. But there were days, there were days that we were, like, sworn enemies. Like, we pretty much hate one another. Like, we fight for whatever reason, right? You, you know, like, you have, if you have younger siblings that happen with you, right? You, you fight with them all the time. And when I don't have reason to fight with her, I created one. How many of you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll give you one example. Like, there one time, I wanted to play with my sister. I really do. I, I really enjoy play with her. But for whatever reason, she does not want to play with me. I, I found it weird. Why does not she want to play with such a cute, adorable younger brother, right? But apparently, she just not want to play with me. Okay? So what did I do? Of course, I caused trouble for her. So what happened was she was playing with her Barbie. So I sat next to her, and I take off all the clothes from the Barbie, and I start throwing the Barbie to different direction. And what happened? We fought, right? And then, and then, and we start fighting. And... Uh, I don't know how it is in between the fight between you and your sibling, but in a fight between me and my sister, the winners are actually the one who did not cry. The one who cried first is the losers. Okay, that's how, how the fight between me and sister goes. So we fight, we fought, and even though I'm stronger than her, of course I'm a guy, but I always lost. I always lost. Why? Because she has this ultimate weapon. I told you before. Remember about her ultimate weapon? She will stop fighting. She will stare at me, look at me, and she said this, Wicked, a wicked word. Okay, she says this. You are not my brother. You are not dad and mom's biological son. You don't even look like them. Like what happened is my dad and mom found you in, in on top of garbage garbage dump and they felt sorry for you, so they took you home and adopted you. Okay, my sister was very wicked. Okay, let me just tell you that. Now, and every time she said that fought ended the fight ended, I lost, okay? I ended up crying so bad, and then not, you know, after not long after that, my parents got home and then my sister would get in trouble because of what she said okay? um, here 's what i 'm telling you this story if we 're not careful if we 're not careful it 's very easy for us to think that adoptive children are somehow second class to biological children, of course, okay. We know better than that. We're not going to say it with our words. But can we agree that a lot of time in our minds when we think about adopted children, we think of that children as somehow less than biological children. You with me? Okay, somehow it's, the, it's but let me tell you, okay? I did a research and I found out that this is not true, both experientially and biblically. And of course, okay, I'm not, I have no experience whatsoever being adopted children. I am my parents' biological, biological children. Right? That mom? Correct? 100%. Said, eh? So I'm secure. I'm secure. So I, I have no experience whatsoever about growing up as an adoptive children. So I wrote a couple of stories of people who actually adopt children. Okay, And um, this story by David Platt really hit me. So if you do not know who David Platt is, David Platt is a pastor in Washington. He has four kids. Two biological children and two adoptive children. Okay, So and then he listed this question a list of questions you should not ask to adoptive parents. Okay, I'm just gonna give you three. First question is this Question number one that you should not ask to adoptive parents Do you have any children of your own? David said he will put his arm around the person who asked and say, Buddy, I've got a secret for you. This child is mine. Okay? He is mine. Like, I don't have any children that is not mine. I do not divide my children between one that is biological children and one that is adopted. They are my children. Period. Second question. The second question that you should not ask the adopted parents is, have you ever met the children's parents? And David will say, yeah, of course. Let me introduce you to them. His dad's name is David, and his mom's name is Heather, David's wife. Okay. And, what, and the person goes, well, you know what I mean. That's not what I mean. And David said, what did you mean? Am I his fake dad? No, I'm his dad. So I am his real parents. Do not ask that to adoptive parents. And the third question is this, and I think this is the rudest one. How much did he cost? How much did he cost? And David say, by this time, I'm ready to take off my glove and fight that person in a ring. Okay? As if you can put a price tag on a child. He is my child. It does not matter how much money I spend on him. He is mine. So, David Platt gave us this picture that adoptive children are not less than biological, biological children. Now, here's why this is important, though. Okay, that's experiential one, okay? But when we're talking about biblical side of that, do you know that you and I are God's adoptive children? You and I, we are not God's biological children. We are God's adoptive children. We are adopted by God. And if we're not careful, what happens is a lot of time we think that we are less than God's biological children. Somehow we think that we are second class. Somehow we think this. Adoptive children are the consolation prize for parents who cannot have children on their own. I know we don't say that with our words, but it's on our mind. And that is very wrong. Because it does not matter how one becomes part of the family, it might involve a different process, but once you are part of the family, you are loved just like you are sons, biological sons. Now, this is something that we need to understand about the Bible though. A lot of time when we talk about the Bible, we talk about justification. If you do not know what justification is, it means we are saved by grace through faith alone. Okay? We're saved by grace through faith alone. Faith in Christ alone. That's it. That's a beautiful blessing. The fact that we can call ourselves forgiven just because we put our trust in Jesus. That's awesome. But then there's another blessing, and a lot of scholars, in fact, say this blessing is even greater than justification. That blessing is called adoption. Okay? This is what G.I. Pecker say. I love the way G.I. Pecker put it. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he make of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. And my friend, I have a good news for you, okay? You might have a father, an early father who loves you so much. Or you might have an early father who do not love you. It does not matter. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, you have God of the universe as the perfect father who loves you better than any earthly father could. And that's the reality that we have. We have a perfect father who loves us better than any earthly father could. And the way he loves us, listen, the way he loves us, he does not love us less than Jesus. Okay, We're going to find out through the passage. He loves us as, as much as he loves Jesus. And that's great talking. So now when God looks at us, he does not separate, this, this, make a distinction between Jesus and us. No, once you are sons of God, he loves you with the love that he loves Jesus. And that's crazy, okay? So we're going to to take a look at that. So three things that I want to talk about tonight, right? Um, I want to talk about the path to adoption, the process of adoption, and the spirit of adoption. The path to adoption, the process of adoption, and the spirit of adoption. Here's my conviction. If you understand that you are sons of God, if you understand that you are children of God, if you understand that God has adopted you, let me tell you, it changes everything about you. It changes everything about how you face life, how you face circumstances in life. It changes everything. It gives you this such amazing security knowing that you are sons of God. You with me? Okay, first one. Let's talk about the path to adoption. In Galatians 4, verse 1 to 3, Paul says this, I'm in that heir, as long as he's a child, it's no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the dead Set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, that first kind of very mouthful. Let me explain what's happening. What happened is this. Paul begins by saying, There was a time that you and I were enslaved by elementary principles of the world. Now, in the context of Galatians, Paul's actually talking about the law of God. He's talking to the people of Israel. You know, there were times, people of Israel, that you needed the law of God to be your guardian you needed the law of God to help you grow in godliness. You needed the law of God to direct your path. But then, the life, the life under the law of God is like a children who are about to receive the inheritance, but they cannot yet. Okay, let me give you an illustration. Let's say Bob is a son of a billionaire. Okay? If you remember who Bob is, he's our best friend. the okay? international best friend. His name is Bob. Bob is son of a billionaire. Okay? And one day, Bob will inherit everything that his father has. All the fat bank account, all the real estate, all the business, one day will come Bob. The thing about it is, right now Bob is only seven years old. So that means, while Bob is seven, his dad realizes that if he gave all the inheritance right now, Bob will just squander the riches. Bob will not know what to do with it. So in those days, what a father will do is, a father will hire a guardian. And this guardian's job is actually to discipline and prepare the kids to be ready for his future. You with me? So now, that, that means this. The guardian gets to act on behalf of Bob. And not only that, but the guardian also responsible to train and discipline Bob to be the kind of person he dad, his dad wants him to be. Now, this is what's amazing. And Paul says the law of God functions the same way the law of god is actually training you and disciplining you and preparing you for what is to come okay and then in first thing he says this in the same way we also when we were children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world let me explain what it means isaac just graduated from high school if you do not know say congratulations to him after the service isaac just graduated but the thing about being graduating from high school and entering university is this. You cannot graduate from high school unless you go through elementary school. Can you, are you agree with me? You cannot jump straight, I just want to be a graduate student. You cannot do that. There's a process there. So you have to involve yourself in a process. For example, you cannot learn algebra without knowing subtract, uh, addition and subtraction and multiplication. You cannot read English unless you learn the alphabet of English, the A, B, C of English. The same way work with what happened with me in my Hebrew class. My MC know this really well. Every single week, I complain to them. Gosh, this subject is ridiculously hard. So I, I complain to them. Please pray for me. I'm going to fail my test tomorrow because we have quiz every single Thursday. So I'm like, man, I can't do this. It's too much. I spent so much hour. I can't do it. But here's the thing though, so while I was still studying Hebrew, the, word, the language of Hebrew is kind of interesting because it has a brand new alphabet, it does not use A, B, C. It uses all this weird symbol that, you know, it looks like a God language or whatever, it's, it's just weird. And but, so now I have to learn a brand new alphabet. So while I was learning the brand new alphabet, I am enslaved to the elementary principle of Hebrew, you with me? But then one day, once I pass that stage, I will be able to read the Hebrew Bible, You with me so far? And here's what Paul's argument, listen, that is exactly what the law of God does. The law of God is preparing you for what is to come. The law of God is saying this, there's something better that is yet to come, but before that what is better come, the law of God need to do is work in you. And there are three things that the law of God does in us, the three purposes of the law. The first thing that the law of God is, the law of God restrain us, okay? The law of God Keep our sinful nature in check through threats of punishment and consequences. Let me repeat that. The law of God keeps our sinful nature in check through threat, threats of punishment and consequences. It does not erase the presence of sin in our heart, but it restrains it. Let me give you an example. How many of you, if you're driving, hate speeding camera? Anyone, 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 anyone hates, hates speeding camera? I hate speeding camera, Okay. Let me make another confession. How many of you hate school zone? Okay, I, I especially hate speeding camera in school zone. Why? It's terrible. Because okay, uh, I get caught a couple of times in it. Now, and it's expensive. Speeding camera in school zone is very expensive. Now, can we agree, though, that the law, the speeding law, is given for our good and for the good of society? Imagine a country which does not have speeding law. Will anyone, will anyone, will anyone drive 40 kilometers per hour in school zone in a country that has no speeding law? Let me tell you, none. Okay, they will drive, what, what's the speed? 120 kilometers per hour. They will drive extremely fast. But then you know, that is extremely dangerous. Can we agree? If we drive 120 kilometers per hour in, in school zone, that is extremely dangerous. But this is what the law does. So we agree that the law is good. So the law of God restrains us. How does, it, how does it restrain us? The law of God restrains us by telling you need to slow down. You need to drive 40 kilometers per hour for your good. And not only that, but if you drive faster than 40 kilometers per hour, what happened? They will send you a ticket with $300 in it. So now you're like, okay, I can't do it. But let me tell you what happened in your heart. Even though it restrains you, it does not remove the desire for you to drive fast. As soon as you pass that school zone, what do you do? I know what you do. You hit your gas pedal. Boom, right? No one stayed driving 40 kilometers an hour after they finish, they pass the school zone. So that's what the law of God does. The law of God restrain you by threat of uh, punishment and consequences. That's the first thing. Okay, gotcha. But the second thing that the law of God does is this. The law of God refills. The law of God refills to you God's perfect standard and at the same time refills our failure to meet those standards, okay? So the law of God basically says, it tells you what to do but it does not give you the power to do it the biggest the easiest example i can give you is this thermometer thermostat do you know what a thermostat does thermostat tells you the temperature in the room correct but thermostat does not have the power to change the temperature in the room okay some of you might not be able to relate with that maybe you can relate this with, with this it's like me weighing myself on the scale every night okay when i weigh myself on the scales every night you know what happened my weight scale screaming at me and telling me, Yos, boss, brother, sir, it's time for you to go on diet and hit the gym. Every time. It does not change. I can go down from my scale and I stand on the scale five minutes later. It's still the same thing. You need to go on diet and go to gym. Your sweater are not fit anymore. Okay? It's a sign that you need to go on diet. However, how many of you realize... That even though my weight scale can tell me I need to go to the gym, my weight scale cannot make me go to the gym. That's the law of God. The law of God is basically this is what you need to do, but it does not give you the power to do it. But the third thing that the law of God is this. The law of God redirects you. So after we've been saved, the law of God pretty much shows us this. This is how you please God with your life. This is the direction that you need to take in your life. I love the way J.D. Greer put it. J.D. Greer put it this way. Um, the law of God is like a railroad track. A railroad track can basically direct the train and, and, and point the train on the direction where it, where it needs to go. But railroad track cannot move the train. You with me? That is the purpose of the law of God. So now if we can put it together, basically this, God's intention for the law is to refill our sinfulness and drive us to Christ. The law of God prepare us for the gospel. That's the purpose of the law. The law of God prepares us for something better, something better that is to come, and that is the gospel. And the good news for you and me is you and I no longer have to, have to wait for something better. That something better has come. That something better has been done to us, okay? And now we'll jump to the second point, which is the process of adoption. And this is what Paul says in verse 4 and verse 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as adoption as what? Sons. Okay. That word will be very key to us. Okay, but let me explain to you first what happened. So, this is what Paul said, okay? So the law does it work to the people of God. The law helped the people of God to realize realize their sinfulness and their need for a savior. But then Paul says this, but the good news for us is this, I, you, and I no longer have to wait for that good news to come because the gospel has arrived. And I love the way Paul's put it. When the fullness of time had come, it simply means this. When Christ come into the world, Christ come at the exact point that He wants to come. He does not come a year too early. He does not come a year too late. No, no, no. He come at the precise exact moment. And if you know your history, it's very clear. But when the time, at the time when Jesus was born, there are two things that happened. Most of the country, most of the world in those days, they speak the same language. It's called Quena Greek. That's equivalent to speaking English today. And not only that, but we also have Pax Romana. Do you guys know what Pax Romana is? If you study history, you should know. Pax Romana is basically the peace, the law, the peace law that the Roman has um, on, the, on all the countries that they conquered. So basically, the Roman Empire was in space, was in stability, and they created roads. They built roads from one city to another, which enabled people to travel from one city to another safer and easier. So with another, when Jesus come into the world, Jesus come at this exact time where the gospel can spread to all nations, because most people speak the same language and they wrote for the people to travel. And what I love about the Bible is this. It's not as if God in heaven was wondering, you know what? I'm not sure when is it's the right time. Is this the right time? Is it not the right time? Hmm, No, no. But what the Bible gives us is the images is That God in His sovereignty was working and brought all the pieces of the puzzle together so that the time come that He sent forth His Son from heaven to earth to redeem us who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's not as if God was a passive agent, no, God was actively working in his sovereignty to make it happen. And then, in order for the, the adoption to happen, okay, there's a process. Adoption is not easy. Okay, if you talk to people who adopt the children, they will tell you. It involves a long, long process. And the same thing happened with our adoption. Our adoption is not easy at all. Okay? There are qualifications that need to be met in order for us to be adopted. Therefore, qualification. First, Paul says this, God sent forth his son. In order to adopt us as son, God cannot send a prophet. God cannot send an angel. God cannot send a heroic human being. God has to send his son. Because only the son of God can make us sons of God. Okay, that's the first one. So you have to be son of God. It has to be defined. But the second qualification is this. Not only has to be son of God, but the second one He's born of woman. Because it is human that sins against God. Because it is human that rebels against God. Only human can redeem human. So therefore, from these two points, we understand that Jesus is both God and human. Because Jesus is God, he can make us sons of God. Because Jesus is human, he can redeem human. But then the third thing. I love the third point. Not only that, but the third qualification is this. Jesus born under the law. Jesus born of a Jewish mother into a Jewish nation and subject to Jewish law. And God's standard of acceptance is one, perfection. And that means this, in order for us to be accepted by God, someone has to fill all the law perfectly without any blemish. And that is exactly what Jesus did. But what's breathtaking about it is this. Think about it. Jesus is God. He's the one who made the law. So now God who made the law came to us, became to us, and subject himself to his law for us. Can you think about that? So now, will you ever find any God like this? No, no, no. Every religion, the God of every other religion says this, there's a, there's a standard that you need to meet. You have to meet this standard. If you meet this standard, then God will accept you. But Christianity is totally different. Christianity is this, there's a standard, and all of us fail to meet that standard. But God himself, who made the standard... Came to us, became to us, lived that standard for us. So now the gospel does not begins somewhere up there. The gospel begins where you are. God came down to us, and that's breathtaking. But that's not even enough, man. The gospel tells you, the, God, the gospel does not tell you to meet a system standard in order for you to be accepted by God. But the gospel begins where you are. But what I love about it is the fourth thing. Okay, now the stage set. Jesus has all the qualification to adopt us. Jesus is fully righteous, he can redeem the unrighteous. Jesus is human, he can redeem human. Jesus is the son of God, he can make us the son of God. But that's not enough. If all that Jesus did is live the perfect life for us, that's not enough. Do you know why? Because you and I owe a debt of sin to God. You and I owe a debt of sin. We are under the penalty of sin. We are under the word of God because of our sin. So therefore, for Jesus just to come is not enough. That's why Jesus has this word, redeem us. Jesus has to pay the price for our salvation. Jesus actually has to become cursed. That's why Galatians 3, so put it this way. Verse 13, Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. I love, I love, love this verse. This is what happened. Remember, God came down to us, became us, lived the perfect life that we could not. He lived a sinless perfection. But then at the cross, he cried out, my God, Eli, Eli, Lamas Bactani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why Jesus cried that out? Only one time in his life he ever called God the Father, my God. That is at the cross. Only one time in his life he felt abandoned by God. That is at the cross. Do you know why? Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, he became cursed for us. He took the punishment of our sin. He became our curse. He took all the punishment of God. So now, he's what's amazing. If you believe in Jesus, he's what's amazing. You're not only forgiven of your sin. Forgiveness from sin is amazing. You're not only free from the slavery of sin, and freedom from slavery of sin is amazing. But Jesus says this, I come to do that. I redeem those who are under the law so that you and I might receive adoption as sons. That is the purpose. So Jesus don't only come only to forgive us. No, Jesus came so that you and I might be adopted into the family of God. That's massive. That means this. That means, think about it. Our primary relationship with God changes. It's no longer between master, lord, and servant. It's between a father and a son. So now, the God of the universe is not just our master. He is. He's our lord, yes. But he's also at the same time our father. Now, do you know what it means to call God our father? Okay. Here's what happened. A lot of times we throw the word love very cheaply the thing that Christians like to say, like, God love you. Anyone say that word? God love you, my friend. God love you, brother. I don't know who you are, but God love you. I just want to let you know, God love you. We do that, we say that to strangers. But here's what I, here's something I want to say. Maybe some of you might disagree with me, but I believe I'm right. God love everyone, but God does not love everyone equally. God loves everyone, but God does not love everyone equally. God is the creator of all, but God is not the father of all. God only the father of his children. Okay? The easiest example I can give you is, um, I gave you the example of Pastor Sam. Pastor Sam is the senior pastor of this church. Okay? So I am sure, I am sure he loves every single one of you. He might not know your name, but he loves you. Okay, He loves you. Pastor Sam loves every single individual of you. But let me tell you, Pastor Sam, even though he loves you, he has special love for me, my sister, and especially his granddaughter. Let me tell you something about Pastor Sam. He's willing to give up his life for his granddaughter. Not sure about me, but I'm pretty sure he's willing to give his life for his granddaughter. But here's what I know. He's not going to give up his life for you, most likely because you're not his children so in the same way you need to understand yes god is the creator of all but god is not the father of all but if you are the son of god then you need to understand that you have special relationship with god of the universe he is your father and i mean and then in fact the word itself okay the word father and and then paul used this word abba okay Paul used this word, um, the word that we don't oftentimes use, the word father. And it's amazing, okay? The word Abba is amazing, but I think I went a bit too fast. Yes, not there yet. Yes, I am there. I'm not there. Yes, uh uh-huh, not really. I'm trying just to buy time. while I'm trying to find my place. Where am I right now? Yes, my mother, God, the father. God is the creator of all. Yes, okay, I found my place, okay? Here. Here's what Paul says about our, our adoption. One thing that you need to understand about your adoption is this. Your adoption and my adoption is not something that we earn. Your adoption and my adoption, according to Paul, is Something that you and I receive. Now, that is a totally different word. That means this. That means no matter how no, hard you try to perform, a servant will always remain a servant. That's no matter how capable, how awesome a servant is, he will not be able to become a son unless the Father in His mercy adopted him. And here's the good news about you and me, though. God says, I want to adopt you. I want you to become my children. I want you, I want me to be your father. And I love that. And sometimes when we think about adoption, this is what we have in our mind. When we think about adoption, we think that we are these cute little orphans waiting to be adopted by God. You're not. You are not cute at all in the size of God. Is that okay for me to tell you that? You're not cute at all. In fact, the picture, the picture that God gave us, okay, the Bible gave us of us, okay, it might be shocking. The picture is this. We were extremely problematic orphans with a lot of issues who rejected God. Picture a boy who had a father who was a serial killer and a grandfather who was a child molester. Both father and grandfather ended their own life. And the boy has a history of serious violence and has been in and out of psychotherapy ever since he was three years old. He loved to burn things and skins animal alive. My question, anyone want to adopt this child? None. Most of like, even if I give you, I'll give you $50,000 to adopt this child. Most of you will say no. Why? Because this child is extremely problematic. But here's the good news of the gospel. God says, I want to adopt that boy. He look at you and me, who has no qualification whatsoever for him to adopt. Nothing cute about us, but he said, I want him to be my son. And God adopts us. So now what I love about the gospel is this. so, my friend, if you never, 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 never receive the gospel, the invitation of the gospel is you don't have to try. All you have to do, receive. <laughs> the gospel is not say, come on, there's a standard you need to meet. No, the gospel say God has done to work for you. And now the invitation for you and miss this, would you receive it? Would you receive it? See, the gospel is not God declaring and turning a disobedient slave into obedient faithful slave. The gospel is God declaring and turning disobedient, disobedient slave into his child. You with me so far? Okay. Let me put it up together in one picture, okay? So imagine this. What happened is you are a criminal. Okay? You are a criminal, and you know you're guilty. And you deserve a capital, capital punishment. You deserve to die for your crime. So, you're pretty much screwed. You don't have any future. You know you're going to die anytime soon. But then, Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, I want to be your defense attorney. And so, if you do not know what defense attorney is, it's Harvey Specter. If you do not know what Harvey Specter is, it's Joshua Tai. So, uh, so, Jesus is the new and better Joshua type. So, now Jesus comes and says, you know what? I want to be your attorney. Let me do this job for you. I'm going to defend you in front of the judge. And the thing about Jesus is he's the best attorney ever. He never lost a single case. So, he said, I want to take your case. So, he did. So, Jesus became your attorney and now you are in the courtroom of heaven. God the judge was sitting and then Jesus tried to argue your case in front of God the judge. Okay, and for many years, I assume, you know, I assume somehow when Jesus played for me, I know Jesus is my attorney, I know Jesus is my advocate, so for many years, I assume when Jesus uh, played his case for me, Jesus played on the case of mercy. It means like this, come on, God, you know, I know Yossi is messed up a lot, man, I know he's, you know, a lot of weaknesses, I get that, but God, come on, seriously, God, look at him, he's 33, and he's still living with his parents, what a poor guy, right, like God, Come on, just be nice to him. I think he has potential. Maybe if you give him one more chance, you know, I think he, he might be a good kid. So why don't we let him go this time, you know, just, you know, bail him out on mercy. And God, come on, just do it for me. Please, God, I Something like that, right? I, I assume that's was, what's was happening. So Jesus was pleading in front of God the Father on the basis of mercy. But it's not a picture of the, what the Bible gives us. So when Jesus stood in front of God the Father, when he played for Ake, he does not play it on mercy. You know what he plays on? He plays on justice. He says this Father, look at me. I have paid the price for his sin. I have endured every ounce of punishment. I absorbed your wrath against sin. I took it all. That's why I died a horrific death at the cross. That's why I went to Calvary, God. Because why? Because I want to purchase him. Because we want to adopt him. And now, God, I paid the price. And God, because you are righteous, God, because you are just, you cannot demand two payments for the same sin. I paid the price. It's done. God, he's free. And when God, the judge, hears that, God hears his whore, hammer, Thor hammer, boom, not guilty, how many of happy if that's happened to you, you deserve to die, and got his hammer, bam, not guilty, I'd be like, yes, thank you, Jesus, awesome, you're the best attorney ever, forget your style, you're awesome, <laughs> but here's what happened, that's not the end of the story, as if that's not good enough, what happens is, is the judge, God, the judge, walk up from his seat and start stand up from his seat, walk, start walking towards you, and then he uncuffed you from your handcuff. He look at you in the eye, and he says, "This, from this moment, you're going home with me. You are my son." That is the gospel, my friend. The gospel is not only forgiveness of sin. The gospel says there's God of the universe who wants to adopt you as. His son. That's why Paul says this. That's why. Okay? That's why now you and I can have the confidence that no matter what, you and I are legally God's sons. Okay? Legally God's sons. Nothing can take that away from you because Jesus has paid the price once and for all. No one can shut for you. You with me so far? But as if that's not good enough. I'm like, man, that is freaking good. But then Paul goes another length. And this is what I love about Paul. He said, whenever you think that's already awesome enough, Paul will say, that's not it. God still has another thing in mind for you. The spirit of adoption. Verse 6 and verse 7. And because you are son, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, true God. Okay, stick with me. These two verses are extremely beautiful. This is what happened. In first 4 and 5, Paul is dealing with our legal status as a son. He's saying that Jesus has purchased you and adopted you legally. So your status as son is legal. It's, it's not as if God, you know, played a trick and then somehow adopted you illegally. No, no. You're legally sons of God. You with me? But then in verse 6 and 7, Paul will not talk about our legal status as a son, but Paul will talk about our experience as a son. Because as a son, we need both legal status and experience, facts and feeling. Because if all you have is feeling, how do you know it's true? But if all you have is facts, how do you know that God really loves you? You with me? We as a son, we need both to know facts and feeling that God has legally adopted me and God God really loved me. And this is what Paul said. That's why. Okay, that's why. Paul used this word. I love this word. This very particular word, Abba. He says this. After God legally adopted you as sons, this is what happened. God sent the spirit of Jesus into our heart. Crying from our heart, what? Abba, Father. Now let me tell you what is amazing about the word Abba. Okay? If you do not know, the word abba is a Jewish and Arabic word but, uh, that means father. This was amazing. For many years, for thousands of years, the Jews have such a high reverence of God that they do not want even to pronounce God's name falsely. They, they have such high reverence of God that, in fact, they do not want to pronounce God's name. So now, and then, so they, they hold God in such high reverence. He's amazing. He's, he's holy. So we cannot be near Him. And then, somehow, a person came up to earth, and then he started calling God of the universe, what? Our Father. And he told his disciples, from this moment, every time you talk to God, I want you to refer Him ours as our Father. Father, and that's what the meaning of the word Abba. And here's what I love. That means this. When Jesus sent His Spirit into our heart, the Spirit of God not only give us a new relationship with God, but the Spirit of God gives us a new relationship with God that we are as close, as intimate as God the Father is with Jesus. So the love that God the Father has for Jesus is the love that God the Father has for us. Because the spirit of Jesus is inside of us crying out to God, you are my father. So when God look at you, he not only love you, yeah, right, I don't have any choice. I'm already, I already adopt you, so I have to love you. No, no, no. When he look at you, he said, the way I love my son Jesus is the way I love you. I love you eternally, infinitely. That's how I love Jesus. That's how Jesus, that's how God loves us. If Jesus make us legally son, the Spirit make us feel like sons. If Jesus make us legally son, the Spirit of Christ make us feel like son. We are the sons of God. Okay, And here's what's amazing about it. Do you realize who does all the job? It's not us. The, our adoption from beginning to the end is the work of triune God. It's God the Father who planned your adoption from before the foundation of the world. It is God the Son who accomplished and com- sorry, who completes your adoption on earth. And it is God the Spirit who accomplished your adoption in your heart. So from the beginning to the end, it is not you who pursue God, but it is God who pursue you. It is God who said, I want you to be my children. I want you to be my son. I want you. Not you. You never want God. God wants you. That is the good news of the gospel. So, and then Paul concludes in verse 7. He says this. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. But if a son, then an heir through God. If this is true, listen, Paul says, you're no longer a slave. You're a son. There are so many differences between slave and son, but let me give you just the biggest difference between slave and son. A slave always cares about their performance, a slave always motivated by fear. Because a slave thinks this way if I messed up, my master will hate me. If I do good, my master will accept me. That's a slave. But now Paul says, You're not a slave, but you're a son. When a son talks to his father, When a son has a relationship with his father, listen, the son knows, even though he might mess up, the father will be there to clean up the mess with him. So we have this relationship, a brand new relationship, brand new confidence, knowing that God of the universe is our father. So if somehow we still think that we are not worthy to come near to God because of our sin, or if we still somehow we need to pay back for the things that we do wrong, we have yet to understand what it means to be son of God. Because you have an open access, a relationship with God because you're a son. Let me give you one illustration to illustrate this. This is very beautiful. But Alexander the Great. You guys know who Alexander the Great is? Okay. Alexander the Great. Okay. This is a very, very fascinating story. I don't know if it's true or not. I hope it's true. But it's a very good story. So what happened is this. Uh, one day, uh, one of Alexander the Great generals come up to Alexander and say, um, commander, great general, I need money. My daughter's about to get married and I need money to marry her off, okay? So Alexander, like, of course, you're my general. How much money do you need? Okay? So, and then the general asked for a large sum of money. We do not know how much, but we know it's a large sum of money. A large sum of money. Okay, let's say, in our context, say, $100 million. Now, Everyone in the room is shocked. Everyone's like... Everybody waiting. What will Alexander the Great say? Okay? Some, of you, some of them will be like, he's going to die. Alexander the Great is going to kill him because he's asking for lots of money. But do you know what happened? Alexander laughed. Like, <laughs> and everybody's like, why? 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 why is he laughing? Why is he laughing? And then this is what Alexander say. I love what Alexander say okay? You want that much money? Sure. You can ask my treasury. Tell them you have my approval. Go. And don't forget to invite me to the wedding. And then the general walks away. And when the general walks away, everyone, all his counselor come up to Alexander and say, uh, what just happened there? Why did you give him so much money? I mean, we thought you're going to kill him at the moment, but why are you happy right now, about giving him that much money? And I love what Alexander say. Okay, this you is know what he said. That man, this man, has done me a great honor by asking for such a large amount of money. He showed that he believed that I'm actually that wealthy and that generous. He knows what it means to be one of my general. My question to you and me is: Do you know what it means to be the sons of God? Do you know that? Because a lot of times we don't. A lot of time we feel like, oh no, I need to earn God's affection. I need to somehow make it up to God. No, 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 no. You are sons of God. So if you try to approach God with a slave mentality that you have to perform in order to earn God's love, you're insulting His love. You're basically saying, I don't really trust that you love me. And God father, hold on a second. I've done it at the cross. If you ever doubt my love for you, look at what my son done at the cross. He died for you. Your status is done once and for all. And not only your status. In fact, I send the spirit of my son into your heart from which you cry, Abba, Father. And so God said, I send my love every day toward you, out toward you, so that you can enjoy my love. That's what it means to be a son of God. So now Paul's argument is this: don't go back to slave mentality. Don't go back to the performance mentality. Don't go back by being enslaved by the law of God because you're not a slave. You are a son. You are my son. You with me so far? Let me close with three applications and I'm done. What happens if you know who you are? What happens when you know you're sons of God? Three quick applications. First one is this. It destroys barriers between us. Listen. Ladies, I told you earlier, don't be offended when we, are called, we call you sons of God. Do you know why? Because in those days, only sons receive special privileges. So now when, when the Paul, well, Paul is very deliberate with his use of words. He's not um, anti-feminist, no. What he's saying is this. When God adopted you, listen, whoever you are, you are not adopted as daughter, but you are adopted as son. As Mrs. You and I have the privileges that sons have. And that's why Paul put in Gen, uh, Galatians 3.28 There's neither Jew nor Greek There's neither slave nor free No male or female For you all one in Christ Jesus It means right now in Christ There's no distinction between male and female There's no distinction between slave and the free There's no distinction between Gentile and Jews Because all you have All you receive the same privileges Because you are sons of God Okay, I'm not saying that means we should eradicate every difference between male and female. Now become, we become she-male. No, I'm not saying that. There's a difference between male and female. Male will continue to be male. Female will continue to be female. But our unity, our differences are nothing compared to the unity we have in Jesus. We are one in Christ. It does not matter what your race is. It does not matter what gender is. That does not matter what your social class is. We have something in common that surpass all of that that means this I can talk to you one of you and found that there is absolutely no common ground between you and me however I can tell you you're my brothers and sisters I love you because why because we have something in common that's better that's greater than all differences his name is Jesus and that's enough you're my brothers and sisters because of Jesus so now there are no more barriers between us It does not matter who you are. You can be the richest person in Australia. You can be the poorest person in Indonesia. When you come together in Christ, there is no barriers between us. Christ has united us together. That's the first one. But the second application is this. It changes the way we pray. If we understand that we are sons of God, it gives us the boldness and the confidence to come and ask God for what we need a lot of time when we come to us, to God, God, "Mm, I'm not sure if God will answer my prayer. I'm not sure if God will do this for me. No, no, no. If you understand you are the son of God, when you call him your father, do you know what he's saying? God, accept me because of Jesus. God, I deserve what Jesus deserves. Love me the way you love Jesus. And if you understand how much God the Father loves his son, then you will understand God will not fail to give what is good to his children none. So now there's a boldness when Jesus says, I want you to ask, seek, and knock. You come to His presence and say, Lord, this is what I need. I have the boldness and the confidence to say, Lord, I know you can provide this for me. I know you can give this to me. I know that you can because you are my Father. I know you're good enough to do that. But at the same time, we also do it with an open hand knowing that if God does not give it, it does not mean God does not answer our prayer. It means that God has something better in mind. Because God will not fail to give what is good to His children. But some of you are like, well, if God is sovereign, doesn't God already know what I need? Yes. And a lot of times, God does that. Without you even asking, He provides for you. But that's not the norm. The norm is just to say, I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. That means this. The norm is this. God wants us to humble ourselves in prayer and come up to the throne of grace and approach Him as a father and say, Lord, this is my request. And His promise is this. Him, as a good father, He will answer you. He will give you what is good for you. That gives you the boldness and confidence. And the last one, and my favorite one is this, Nyan. It gives us assurance in our relationship with God. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion in the world that you can actually have assurance in your relationship with God. Every other religion says this, you got to perform. you got to meet certain standards in order for you to be accepted by God. But only Christianity says this, it's done. Only Christianity says it, it's done at the cross once and for all. You don't have to doubt it. Jesus paid it all. All your sins are forgiven. You are legally my son. So how is this? When I messed up, I know I will. When I messed up, I am not afraid to come to God. Because I know my assurance, my acceptance of God is not depending on whether I messed up or I do not mess up. My assurance in my relationship with God is knowing that He has legally adopted me. Once and for all, I am a son. And not only I am a son once and for all, but He poured out His Spirit. Now, the Spirit of Christ is living in me and crying out from my heart, Abba Father. So if I even have the slightest longing to call Him my Father, it is the Spirit of Christ that crying out from inside of me. And that's the assurance that I have. No matter what, no one can chase that. No one can take that. Even when I don't feel like it, it's still true. My status remains the same. And my experience of God's enjoyment continue every single day. I told you a story when my parents come up to me and scolded my sister for what she did, right? But here's what I did not tell you. After they scolded my sister, they will take me aside. They will kiss me, embrace me, look at me in the eyes and say, Yes. You are our son. We love you and we want you. And at that very moment, all the wickedness, evilness of the thing that my sisters tell me disappear because I found assurance knowing that my father is for me. That is what the spirit of Christ does inside of you. Yes, you are legally adopted at the cross of Jesus Christ once and for all. But then the Spirit of God comes inside of you and say, I'm going to let you experience that daily. I want to experience, you to experience the love and the enjoyment and the delight of your adoption daily. God does not want you just to know that you're a son. God wants you to enjoy being sons. How much He loves us, church. That is our adoptions. You and I are sons of God. If that is true, What is it for us to be afraid in life? We have absolutely no reason. Absolutely none. He is our Father, and He will not fail to be with us to the end. Let's pray. God, I pray that uh, our adoption is not just a theory that we know. But I pray that you continue, Lord, to make our adoption come alive. I pray that you you help us to continue to experience the joy and the delight of being called your children. For the many times that we continue to go back to slave mentality, remind us that we are no longer a slave, but we are a son. For the time again and again that we try, we try to earn your love, we try to merit your favor, forgive us, God. I pray that you continue to remind us that we have this assurance that no matter what, no matter what, no matter what storm we we face in life, no matter how messed up we are, no matter how bad, how failed we are, nothing can change the fact that you have adopted us and that you will be there with us to clean our mess. And I pray that this gives us confidence in facing our future. I pray that you give us confidence facing life, no matter what happens. You are for us. We praise you, we love you, and we delight in you. And we ask this in the name of beloved Son Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Ascend to our feet as we sing.